But what I'm suggesting is don't do it just for the sake of money and don't do it just for the sake of what. Understand who you are before you go down there because then all the what's again are a manifestation of who you are. They're more powerful. And oh, guess what? They're sustainable because they're actually in alignment with who you are. Mm. And so when all those things take place, we get to move faster through life with less effort. And it's just amazing that when we start with who as well, not only do we get the what's, but we also get these things called joy, freedom, and fulfillment that we get to have holistically in our lives. Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. Here, we're going to be interviewing titans of industry, bringing you the hacks, the tips, and tricks from the whole of the world on how you can get more effective in your business. We're going to bring some of the biggest names from across the world to drop their bombs, drop their information, to give you the info you need to thrive in business. We're going to talk about the struggles, we're going to talk about the successes, and everything in between. Today on the Sales Masters Podcast, we've got the amazing Brian Boger. We've just been having a great chat and I've just nearly got off on a whole tangent and done a podcast conversation without us actually being in. Welcome, Brian. I'm happy to be here, brother. Thanks for having, coming on. So I was looking on there before, passionate performance coach, motivational speaker, business strategist, top sales professional. One thing I wanted to jump on straight away with you was Bogert's Bullets. Oh, yeah, man. Can you tell me about Bogart's Bullets or everyone that's listening? Yeah. So, you know, Bogart's Bullets is, uh, it was really just kind of a passion project that I wanted to be able to put some good into the world. So when we first started our, our personal development coaching speaking business, it was kind of before a lot of the videos were really taken off. And I just was like, hey, if I get in front of a camera and start sharing some concepts around things, this might actually help some people. And it just kind of grew from there. And so it's really a three to five minute just topic that we unpack and look at how do we apply it into our lives. And it's, it's really more abstract and esoteric to get people thinking, right? One of our big concepts in the way that we view the world is that we need to kind of get back to the art of thinking. Mm. We've lost the art of thinking. So not only do we need to learn how to think, but we need to learn to think about our thinking, think about our feeling, feel our feelings and feel our thinking. And it's in that quadrant that we can really kind of experience life more holistically. So Bogart's Bullets is just an attempt to uh, have impact in people's lives. And hopefully there's a ripple effect that follows it. It's interesting you say about this. I was talking um, to a good friend of mine the other day. I said, the amount of us out there, just in life, but have never sat and really thought about why am I where I am, where I'm even going. And I think when people are in sales, a lot of people are, are watching this, they're used to going into a job where it's set goals. Where do you want to be? Become your best and all this stuff. But a lot of people in jobs can quite easily just end up going through the motions from that, right? Oh, yeah. Which then we're suddenly like, oh, I'm 41. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. And then we've got to almost unpack all that, work out what we want, get rid of the stuff we don't, right? And yep. is that one of the big things that you found personally before it became almost your mission? Or, or, or was it more, it was a mission because you already had it aligned? No, it was absolutely, I lost myself. And I knew what that looked like. And so the reality of it is, is all of us are born as our most bright, burning, authentic light. And then from the time we're little kids, right, the rawness just starts to get beat out of us because parents, teachers, coaches, employers start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't chase that. Right. And we start getting conditioned around all the what's in the world. Right. What house? What car? What amount of money? What should we be chasing? What job? Truly, right? Like what amount of success? And these are all these external measures that just get beaten, conditioned into us until we're funneled into this little box that the world will accept who we are. 
Mm. Right. And so I did that. Right. I did all those things. I chased the what's and we got them all early actually in life, had a lot of success. I was a, a partner in, in a firm and me and my partner scaled our business from nothing to over 15 million within the span of a decade. Right. And so I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress on the point along that journey, I accomplished all the what's, but I lost who I was. Right. And then one day I woke up and I looked around running with people making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases. And so many of us were miserable, stuck, mm. lost who we were. But on the outside, we looked great. We had all of what the world told us we should have to be successful. Right. And everybody would tell us that we're crazy if we walked away from it. Yes. And so I knew what that was like. I knew what it was like to be depleted and defeated and unworthy and stuck and having shame trigger me left and right. And I also knew what it looked like to unpack who I was and start shedding those layers of the world told me who to be. Mm. And once I started to align with who I was, then all the what's in my world became a manifestation of who I was versus chasing the what's and losing who I was. So it becomes much more powerful. So it's one of our core concepts. It's who before what. It's not that what's not important. It absolutely is. But if we lead with who, we will always have the greatest what's in alignment. If we lead with what, it's likely we're going to lose who we are. And we're also going to lose who we want to do this with and who we're doing this for. And with that in mind as well, we talk about this, especially with sales and sales professionals and people in business and goals. We're all very much guilty of setting those goals and they're the materialistic goals. The sports car, the Rolex, this big flashy holiday. But if we don't have the who beforehand is why we get everyone gets that buyer's remorse right we go yeah. pick up a new car and i can't wait and they're like oh what have i done and there's yeah. no who behind it right that's a hundred percent i mean it's the same thing with even amounts of money that people seek it's like oh if i just ever make 50 grand i will have made it if i get to a hundred like grand a magic I will have made fix. It, right if i get to 250 grand i will have made it all my problems will go away right if i get that car if i get that house if i get oh I'll be, i will have made it Right. But it's always empty if you don't start with who. Mm. So you can literally move down that path. But how many people chase the what and they get it? And to your point, it doesn't really give them any kind of satisfaction. It's fun. And by the way, I want to be very clear. I in no way vilify chasing, making a fuck ton of money and chasing really <laughs> nice things. Right. No, no, exactly. I am all for that. Right. But what I'm suggesting is don't do it just for the sake of money and don't do it just for the sake of what understand who you are before you go down there, because then all the what's again are a manifestation of who you are. They're more powerful. And oh, guess what? They're sustainable because they're actually in alignment with who you are. Mm. And so when all those things take place, we get to move faster through life with less effort. And it's just amazing that when we start with who as well, not only do we get the what's, but we also get these things called joy, freedom, and fulfillment that we get to have holistically in our lives. So it's just a more holistic way to live, I believe. And it's, I really like what you say with that because I don't know about yourself, but it was a stage in my life when people talk about joy and fulfillment. And I was like, oh, shut up. I'm happy. I have the loudest yeah. part of my voice. I'm really happy. Look at me. I'm having the best time. But it's only I had a breakdown years ago and lost everything. And it's only when you rebuild back from zero and you get to build a life that you want based around yeah. what you want. You've had the stuff. You were like, mm -hmm, didn't really need half of that stuff. And then you work around the idea of giving to other people, building, like you said, we were talking earlier, community, doing things for other people. And that there's that giving concept, which is such a, an overlooked part of life for a lot of people, right? I was guilty of that, yeah. which I'm sure you probably had the same thing. Or have you always been very much community and giving based? 
Yeah. So I have, I would tell you that I, for most of my professional life, adult professional life, I've been very focused in the community. My wife and I've had this concept of giving until it hurts for a long time. Mm. So no matter how much money we've made, we have always wanted to give at a level that we felt it, meaning it was going to be meaningful for us. So it is a concept that we started doing for a very, very long time. Now here's, here's what I didn't learn for a long time. I didn't learn how to effectively receive. Right. And it's something that I'm actually still working on. And so what's interesting is I've had a give mentality for my entire career and it has worked and it has come full circle and there have been connections, but they're more dotted lines versus direct correlated lines, which is okay. But I find that the more I give, the more I actually have the opportunity to get And So when I say receive, it's that I haven't opened myself up to actually ask for help. Right. Mm. When I built my career the first time, when I chased the what's, I had to prove to the world and prove to myself that I could do it without any help. And I'm in a place now where when I had the opportunity, I didn't, I didn't crash and burn. I actually decided to execute my buy, sell and exit that business to start from ground zero, to go chase a dream on the impact that we think we could have. I had to embrace the pains required to understand my shame, my fear, the things that were keeping me stuck to put myself in a position to avoid suffering of not ever knowing the potential that I could have or the impact that I could chase. But the reality of it is that that was one of the biggest things that I've always had a motivation around is I've always wanted to make more money so I could give more. Okay. And I don't mean that just in terms of money. I like to give in terms of time, energy, resources. And I believe that when we open ourselves to give holistically, we truly have the ability to receive if we allow ourselves to as well. We were talking about David Meltzer not that long ago. And he was one of the people that pointed out to me. I was talking with him maybe about a year ago. And I said, brother, man, like what's going on? Like if there was one blind spot that you saw I could have, what would it be? And he goes, you suck at asking for help. And I was like, whoa. And he said, no, seriously. He said, I don't, he said, if it's to benefit other people, you will ask anything and move mountains. Mm. But if you perceive it's going to benefit you, you all of a sudden stop asking. And so I said, wait, 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 give me an understanding. He goes, Brian, the way, the, all I know about you, everything and how you operate, the more you receive, the more you're going to give. So anything that's going to benefit you is going to also benefit the people you choose to impact because the way you live your life. So at some point, you've got to actually surrender to the fact that you've got to receive to be able to fulfill your ability to give. Because in some cases I gave beyond my ability to do so. Okay. Just because it was how I was wired. But I think for salespeople in general, since that's who's listening, think about actually aligning with organizations that you care about impacting versus just going to sit on boards for the sake of networking, for the sake of having the credibility of sitting there. When you invest through a period of time when people can see who you are, the impact that you chase, not just what you want from that organization or what you want from the other board members, but how do you choose to impact the community? All of a sudden, You've got people clamoring at your door to be a leader in the community and your doors start to open in a play that you've got sales in an abundant way that you haven't measured before. Mm. That was how I built my career. And so it's something that I just genuinely believe is, is really important for a lot of us to pay attention to. Cause again, if we can give, we can receive, and it's about creating that complete circle that allows us again to live more holistically. I love that. Interesting. What I love to talk to you about. So when we're talking to a lot of people in sales, selling, a lot of people that are in sales and selling are used to being a chameleon, if you will. They adapt to a different product or a service, right? Yeah. And they're going to get a certain level of success. I think now we are so spoiled for choice about what you could sell. It's almost stupid, for want of a better word, to go yeah. and sell something, but you don't have that delivery. Why do you think more people don't? 
Because do you feel they, they just blinkered on to the money or, or what do you think that might be? Because I'm fascinated why more people don't go. Like they, oh, I hate what I sell. Why, why leave? There's so much. Yeah. So I, I, I think, it, I think it's truly a combination of probably what you said. There's a, there's a flash and a bling factor to the perception of what you can earn in a particular role, regardless of what it is. Mm. And I think there also gets to be a comfort level that exists. So when people are in a certain place, you start making a certain amount of money, even if you aren't in alignment with who you are and you're miserable and you're stuck, you start believing that you could never replicate that kind of financial success again. Mm. Right. So you start getting self-worth and self-doubt that actually keeps you stuck in that place. And I think a lot of people also don't actually take the time to really understand the energetic component of selling, right? The nonverbals, when you believe in what you're selling versus just trying to pitch a product, it's a completely different conversion because you're not talking at that moment about selling. You're actually demonstrating value by talking to about how that product or solution or service actually solves their problems. And when you're passionate about that, people are buying from the energy and passion, not the fabricated sales techniques that we learn in so many different ways. <laughs> and so the reality of it is I think that people just end up getting stuck because of a combination of money, comfort, and they don't actually pay attention to the emotional triggers that are keeping them perpetually circling that path. And so we talk about in our world, so often people think they're stuck because of the wrong strategy or tactics, right? So they're like, oh, I'm not making the amount of money I'm at because I don't have the right structure. I don't have the right deal. I don't have the right sales system. Strategy and tactics are important, mm -hmm. but they are not the first thing. And they're not what keeps people stuck, though they're critically important to getting us where we want. The thing that keeps people stuck is a combination of their emotional triggers, their behavioral patterns, and their environmental conditioning. And so if you are someone who has never made the kind of money that you do in any other location, but you did it selling a product that you hate, you may convince yourself to stay there. Yes. And oh, by the way, I did the same thing in risk management, employee benefits consulting. I almost convinced myself when we built this business that I might not ever be able to replicate success again. We might ever be able to grow a business again. I literally, that was part of my shame I had to overcome before I decided to execute my buy, sell and go take a leap of faith again, right? Because I had convinced myself, I might, this might, I might be a one hit wonder. I might, mm. be, I might not be able to do this. I might not be able to actually replicate this. Although if I'm really honest with myself, over 15 years of a professional career, there was always growth, regardless of where I was at or what I was doing. So once I started to understand and unpack those emotional triggers and behavioral patterns, that's what I had to do before I could actually convince myself, actually convict myself during, towards this path to make sure that I wouldn't have regret minimization theory later in my life. Bezos popularized that. It's literally when you talk to people when they're on their deathbed, what are the things they regret the most? It's the things that they never tried, not the things they did and failed, the things they never actually took the chance, right? And so I looked at this and I said, look, in my five minutes position, I was making plenty of money. I was printing cash in some cases. And I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress upon the point. It was not a financial decision that drove me. I was out of alignment with who I was. And if I could no longer stay connected to that, there was no way I was going to effectively grow and impact my associates' lives, our clients' lives, and our community lives. If I was out of alignment, we were going to start shrinking. And so instead, I had to realign with who I was and the impact that I want to have in the world. And, you know, we're pretty blessed as what's happened in that amount of time. Do you know one thing I'd love to touch on with this? I had a list of like 50 questions, I didn't touch on a single one yet, which I quite like. It's always a sign of a good conversation. For a lot of people that are in business or in sales, they have to go through a strategy and a process to know what to do mm -hmm. because their focus is on the what, the goal, the product. 
the more you talk, the more it resonates with me and it really hits hard. But because you know yourself so well now, you know every dark corner of you. And I think a lot of people don't, do they? A lot of people don't. They, they know the light they try to shine on people to tell them who they are. And because you're only trying to work between in the spotlight, not in the shadows, because the shadows are everywhere, we're almost fearful of those shadows, aren't we? And that's, yeah. is, am I a one-hit wonder? I've earned more money than I ever thought I would. Crap, could I ever even do that again? And 101 other shadows that are out there. Hmm. So what's the big step? Was there one point where you, you've got a real alignment where you go, this was a big turning point and this is what I did? Was it a gradual process? How did that work for you? Yeah, so the reality of it is I've had multiple of those in my life. You know, I mean, one of my core philosophies is this idea of embracing pain to avoid suffering. And so when you talk about finding all the dark spots in my world, I definitely want to uncover every rock and find mm. every blind spot. And the thing is, is I still have them. And I've been searching vigorously, vigilantly for years. And I think I've done a pretty effective job of unrooting a lot of them. But, you know, when I, when I look at some really pivotal moments, I will tell you that one really big push is what led me down this transition. Okay. Right. I had some health issues that took place a few years back and I, I won't, uh, I won't bore you with the details. I mean, again, I've got a lot of health stuff in my past. I know that you know that cause you've, you've spent some time looking up some things, but in this particular case, it was, uh, I was getting absolute fatigue, cognitive dysfunction, brain fog. And if you know, you can't tell, I rely heavily on my intellect, right. And my energy. And so they are, <laughs> they're a huge part of my identity. And so I had to really kind of reclaim who I was through that period when I got back and I, I figured out what it was, got into treatment, started feeling better, but it embedded this trigger again in me, this pattern in me that I didn't even see for a couple of years. Then July of 2019, my wife and I go away and we have one of those weekends, man, that mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, like we were one, like we were just bonded. And as we're driving back to pick up our kids, she leans over and says, Hey, honey, how would you feel if you didn't have to go to the office on Monday morning? And I was like flooded with fear, drowning in my doubts, swirling in my shame and sorrows, like instantly. Mm. And I looked at her, I was like, whoa, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Why don't you tell me more? And she went on to explain. She said, I think you allowed this last health care to allow fear to enter into your world in a way I've never seen you operate. Mm. I think you've convinced yourself that we need the money, the status, the prestige, the stability of everything that we've built. She said, but I also think that every day you spend in risk, risk management and employee benefits consulting, you die a little bit inside and you refuse to see it. And she said, what we need is 100% of you, not a paled version of you. And right now we don't have you because you're losing who you are. She said, I know that the more time you spent in coaching and speaking, because at this point we've been running both businesses side by side for five years. She said, I see a little bit of a different light in you. And she said, and I know that you're not even scratching the surface of your potential, nor do I believe you're having near the impact on the world that you want and you're capable of. So she said, we took a major bet on you once. What if we double down on that bet and go chase this next one? Right. It's not lost on me the courage it took for me to have my wife come literally unroot potentially our whole life, our whole stability, the things that I was afraid of losing. Right. The scarcity that I was starting to operate within, because the more I had, the more I had to lose. And I hadn't actually shifted the perspective that it wasn't about what I can gain or lose. It's about what do I stay attached to to keep me growing? I was dying a little bit inside. So this turning point was this conversation from my most trusted relationship, my most intimate relationship. And what she was trying to do was to make sure that I could see myself the way she saw me. Mm. And so that nudge, that push, that leap, right? 
put me into action. And I had to unpack over the course of the next four to six months. What were the things that were actually keeping me swirling in that fear? What was keeping me from moving forward? And I had to vigilantly go through that process because I owed that to my wife for the challenge she gave me. It was three months later, literally, that I communicated with my business partners and the CEO of our firm at that time that I was executing my buy sell at the end of that fiscal year. And so I put the wheels in motion over the course of the next 10 months to lay the foundation to set us up for success here and exit at my best. I had my best year ever, the year that I left. I doubled my book of business in one year, 15 years in the industry and doubled in the last year, which if that doesn't support the idea of being detached, I don't know what does, right? I was detached mm. from any particular outcome and I had more success and more sales in that one entity than I'd had in 15 years combined. Think about that. So when I really started to move into this place, it was that moment, it was that push that really gave me the ability to look and say, look, I don't want my kids to ever hit the easy button just because it's sitting right in front of them, right? The amount of money that I was making, the security, the stability, we were growing this business organically, double digits every single year with no sign of stopping. Right. I, I had, I mean, I was set truly. And my wife said, Hey, you're set, but you're dying. Why don't we take a different chance? And I don't want my kids to see me hit the easy button. I want them to see me embrace the pain necessary to avoid the suffering of not ever becoming who I'm capable of being. There's a lot to be said about having a good person on your arm, a good partner in your life. Right. It's not lost on me, man. Forever indebted to that woman. Uh, but this is the whole thing, right? When we we took we throw so many big comments and statements and quotes around in this world, and we forget the difference that having someone one that has that input, that trust, that faith in you, but also that you have the faith and the trust in that person to fully right. take what they say. Because I imagine there's a lot of people out there their partner would say something in less of an eloquent way, and they'd be like, "What the hell are you on about?" Because you've got to really trust. Wow. Hmm. Makes you really think. Makes you really. You just think. gave me chills, brother. Hearing you, re hearing you repackage that just gave me chills. Makes you Ooh. really think. What would have happened? Well, potentially it makes that you conversation think, it... has changed. Well, but it has, hasn't it? That conversation by having the right person in your corner that you trust. Yeah. And that they trust you to be so honest has changed the trajectory of your generations of kids' lives. From one well, conversation and, and, driving and back. Not, and not only the immediacy of this life for us and for our children, right? Like the, the reality of it is it's cool because what, what we also didn't realize is the path that I was on was contributing as well to helping contribute to help her lose who she was. Mm -hmm. Who I was becoming as I was losing myself was actually causing her to lose herself. And so when she get, took a leap of faith to push me to become the person that she saw me to be, because I wasn't seeing that person, what's actually come full circle is it's actually given us both the space to breathe. And my wife is actually becoming who I've always seen her to be. Mm -hmm. So we are actually both flourishing. The connection in our house is better. She's actually now in the last six months jumped into this business 15 years as an entrepreneur. She's never wanted to be in any of the businesses. And now she's like, let's go build this together. We are literally aligning our lives. So we've got a greater amount of connection, trust, intimacy, and surrender in the way that we are. And as a result of her pushing me, it's given her the space to breathe. It's fascinating. Think about that. Yeah. It's powerful stuff because if someone, if, if anyone who's sat listening to this, watching this now, and you're thinking, well, would it work in my household? Makes you question it. Well, it should at least make us question it because it's not just, <laughs> we could talk about the husband and wife, 
But you can talk about this as business partners. You can it talk is. about this. Same thing. It's exactly the same as you and your best mate. Is that person supporting you? Is that person prepared to have an uncomfortable conversation with you to say, hey, listen, I see what you're doing. And what you're seeing isn't the same yep. as what we're seeing. And that's, I mean, when we talk about mental health and all the other stuff, it's those yep. hard conversations that people don't have. And it, it go is. back to the podcast side of this. When we're in sales, when you're in business, it's not always easy. You're no, making the not. money, the goals you think they're aligned, but actually you're going on a dark path. If I, For me, when I had my, my breakdown lasted two years, like everything decimated. Yeah. And I don't think I had someone, and this isn't blaming other people that were around me. I didn't have the belief and the trust that if someone had pulled me on it, but I'd have been like, oh yeah, I believe you. It's interesting. It is interesting. You know, it's interesting too, because as you talk about all of that, I mean, it is, it's about relationships, communication. And at the end of the day, it all roots in human connection, mm -hmm. right? I, I believe that in any dynamic, any relationship, sales, business partners, marriages, kids, parents, you name it, it does not matter, right? We all seek and desire four things in the human experience. We seek and desire to feel safe, we seek and desire to feel protected, and those are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. We seek and desire to feel seen and understood, and we seek and desire to feel connected. The thing we desire most is that last one, but it does not exist unless the first three do. Right. So think about this in sales, okay? You walk into a prospect. What have they been conditioned to believe? Somebody's going to want something from me. Yep. They're going to come in here wanting something from me. They're going to try to sell me. They're going to try to convince me. They do not believe that it's going to be an environment that they're going to be able to enter into and feel protected or safe. So what do they do? They put their own armor up to protect themselves, immediately blocking out that salesperson from potentially having connection at any point quickly, unless they're a magician or a comedian, or like you talked about before, a chameleon. <laughs> yes. Okay. But then all of a sudden, it's not authentic connection. It's fabricated. Mm -hmm. Right? So what if as salespeople, the first thing we did was sought to protect our prospects to allow them to understand that we don't want anything from them. We want something for them. Mm. All of a sudden we can allow their wall to come down because if we can create an environment of protection, then they'll feel safe because when our walls are up, we also prevent just because there's a wall there, the ability to be seen and understood and the ability to connect. So if we have a wall up because we're insecure and we feel the need to protect ourselves, not only are we walking in there with a wall up, but because every other salesperson has conditioned them to believe that you want something from them, you also have to overcome bringing down the wall that all other bad salespeople have created for. Mm. So you have two walls that are conflicting each other. How the hell are you supposed to connect, add value, demonstrate and build a relationship and create impact in their life so that you don't actually have to sell and they buy from you? Focus on human connection. If that's what we do and we lead that first, I don't care what you're selling. I don't care what business you're in. That's also why we have this belief, who before what, but people before profits. If you can walk into these environments and assume that you're going to be safe, so you don't have to have your own wall up, then you can create an environment where you put a wall around everybody in that room. Make sure that they know you want nothing from them, you want something for them, and they are safe. That's the only chance you have to truly see and understand who they are and what they need, and to actually be able to connect with them in an authentic way where you're no longer selling. Mm. I tell you what, when we were talking earlier about you and David Meltzer being good friends, the conversation yeah. and the way you talk, you can just see it. 
The conversation between you two must be fantastic. So I remember seeing something in one of your videos before, and you were saying about your armor is crushing you. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah. So again, I mean, if we, if we go back to it, we've blended some concepts here today and they all are intermingled. You know, when we start putting our armor up, when the world's telling us who we are, isn't good enough with all the shoulds they place. What I didn't say earlier is that should's a shame-based word. Cause it implies whatever you're doing, isn't good enough. Yeah. Whoever you are is not good enough. Right. So what we start to do from a really early age is put armor up to protect ourselves. Again, same concept. We're protecting ourselves with this armor. Okay. Now, what happens with that is we believe that we are making ourselves safe and we believe that we are there. I want you to pretend. What if you held two five pound dumbbells out in front of you? Mm. How long could you hold them there? It's hard, isn't it? And the longer it goes on, the more it becomes. Those shoulders start burning, mm. right? Think about the armor that we literally don't every day bring down and we carry to hide who we are because the world has told us we're not good enough from the time we are little. And so we have this armor and we're carrying it and it gets heavier and heavier the longer we carry it. And again, it incrementally crushes us over time. But the armor does a couple of things. We just talked about it. It also prevents you from being seen and understood. Yeah. It prevents you from connecting, but it also does one other thing. When we create armor, we are not allowing ourselves to show vulnerability and authenticity, which are the glue that binds human connection. And so if we cannot demonstrate vulnerability and authenticity, then we're doing what the world has told us, which is to show up with a smile on, cut it off at the top, shove down your feelings and put a smile on and move fast because that's what the world can accept. We can be successful in sales. Who cares if you got in a car accident earlier today? You got a big sale on the line. Can you go deliver? Who cares if your kid got hurt yesterday and they're in the hospital and hurting, right? Can you go deliver? Like that's what the world cares about. They care about, can we deliver, right? No, they don't care about what we're carrying. So what do we do? We learn to just shove it down. We have armor up. Guess what? We're, we actually have a container that we've built for ourselves and we just shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. The more we shove it down, the more pressure builds until one day that armor is going to explode. Hmm. That's what burnouts look like. That's what crashing yes. burns look like. That's when 100%. lives fall apart. Right. And that's when most people finally have an opportunity to lean in and do what you did, rebuild the life that you want. Hmm. What I'm suggesting to people is we don't have to get to the crash and burn point before we rebuild. We can start shedding the layers of what the world has put on top of us, that armor, and start lowering it down. Now, we can actually prevent the crash and burn in our own lives if we can just embrace the pain now. Mm. It's funny you say it. Well, it's funny. It's interesting you say it because when I think back to when I was at the stage after the breakdown and I rebuilt, my armor was gone. <laughs> of course it was. Every, everything was gone. And it was a really freeing element about it. Freeing. Huge. And completely freeing where you're like, there, it's just gone. Everything's done. Everything's gone. It's done. It's over. It's finished with. Now I can choose who I let in, what I talk about, how I talk about it, and all the other stuff. Now, here's the big thing I have, because I find this fascinating, but I want to make sure we, we, we keep to some degree for, for people that are in the sales world. There'll be people now listening to what you're saying, and there'll be a genuine fear, if they're being straight with themselves, that if I drop my guard, if I lower my armor, things are going to fall apart. Now, I know that it won't. A lot of the time, it's we're outside of our comfort zone and it's a new feeling. So we feel exposed rather than that we're in danger. I imagine like thinking back to medieval times, we're not walking out the house without the armor to go into battle with a sword fight. That would be a dangerous thing. 
So yeah. what would be your advice to someone now if they're sat there thinking, yeah, great, this sounds brilliant, guys, but but how without ruining my life can I do move forward? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to point everybody to a book by Dr. Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. She outlines it in three levels of fear, which I think is one of the most beautiful things. And I'm going to mess up the first two. The third one is the most important one. First one is level one fears. It's like those external fears, things that hit us like financial loss, COVID, right? Uh, job loss, those things that happen to us. Level two fears are those internal things like the, the guilt, the shame, the fear, the scarcity, the, the internal mental and emotional health element. And then level three fears, the root of all fears, as she outlines it. It's really the answer to the question, can I handle it? Right. And her whole point is, is if she points out that if you knew that you could handle anything that was thrown at you, any judgment, any, any hit, anything that would take place in your life and that you'd be okay, that you could handle it, what would you actually have to fear? Mm. And so I guess I just want to give those salespeople a challenge, right? I want you to try in your next perspective or client meeting, I don't care which one. I just want you to try to show one layer deeper of who you are in terms of a vulnerability. Maybe give them something about your life. Maybe give them something about a struggle. Maybe give them something about a blind spot that you've recently discovered. Just something. You don't have to go super deep. You don't have to know all your traumas and all your inner secrets right <laughs> out of the gate. Just share like something that, that's relatable from a human experience perspective. Something about you. That's not just like why you have the greatest product to sell. Right? Just something. And see the difference in where the conversation goes. And if just that one chance, and you can genuinely look at me and say, Hey, I tried it. It didn't work. Well, then call me and let's chat. Cause I'll challenge to see whether or not there's actually some authenticity behind that. But I can promise you, if you become more relatable, if you can bring down that armor a little bit, be a little bit more vulnerable and authentic, your sales will feel the benefit significantly. Mm. I agree. And I also, I, the thing I would say with it, even if someone does do it, even if you go back 1%, anyone who's watching, if you go back, I talk about 1% all the time. Improve oh, this yeah. 1% and all that. Like 1%, people overlook the 1%. Oh, yeah. You know, everyone talks about the whole 10,000 hours. Become a master at 10,000 hours. There's a part of me that's like, well, fuck for 10,000 hours. What about 10 good hours? Yeah. If I go and learn Cantonese for 10 straight hours with commitment, with dedication, with complete focus, I could order dinner. Right, but it's stuff you can do. Ten thousand hours. It, it, there's a lot to argue, but people set these big things. And the one percent side, if you just go one percent now, go one percent today. Work out what yeah. that one thing is going to be. Even if you just do one thing a month, these are these simple little layers have a massive impact. It's true. Right? It's true. And I just think people just overlook this. And is it the fact that? Everyone's got the instant gratification world now where we want big Lamborghini or nothing type mentality. If it ain't a 10 million pound home, I'm not it. Well, I come off it. There's a lot of plenty, really nice half a million pound homes that are out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why do people run away from this 1% the one layer? Why, why do people freak out or just doing one simple thing? Do you think? Cause I, th I think it's uncomfortable to do new things. I think sometimes people just don't want to get out of the, the momentum of doing things. And, you know, but how many people do you know that say like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time for myself. I don't have enough they time, for my, really I don't have enough time for my health. To me. People say, right? I, I, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to be able to make more calls. I don't have enough. To, like, right. Okay. Well, let's just understand that if we are absolutely diligent and under clear in our time and the way that we understand things, we have this compound effect that also takes place. 
right? There's this quote, I wish I could give attribution to it, but it's, it's people are practiced in public for what they practiced in, or sorry, people are celebrated in public for what they practiced in private for years, mm. right? I agree with you. I'm not a believer that you have to put in 10,000 hours. I think that we, there are elements of this, but I do believe that there are things that happen with reps and consistency yes. that allow us to condition ourselves over time. So we, we know this to be true, regardless of the hour amount, it doesn't matter. And so if you are one of those people, it's like, I just can't seem to get to those extra calls. I can't seem to get workouts in. I can't seem to do this. Let's just do that. Let's just think about this for one minute. Find 30 minutes a day. 30 minutes. I, there are very few people that I can't help them find 30 minutes in their day. Oh, everyone. Almost everybody. Like there's a small elite crew that might have it so disciplined that there's not 30 minutes extra there. But almost everybody, 30 minutes a day. This book for 5 a.m. club, Robin Sharma, have yeah. you ever read it? I've so not, I, but I, I'm familiar with it. Right. So I take notes when I read books. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. I, so I go crazy. I never had a book that I've read, but I've wrote so many notes with. But at That's the awesome. end of it, it says, right, here's a 66-day challenge. It's a 5 a.m. challenge. It's in the book title. It's obvious what's going to happen, right? And I was like, oh, crap. It was this time last year. And I was like, oh, do I have the time? <laughs> so I've all read the whole book and I started going, but it's nonsense. And I'm like, of course I've got the time. And it's crazy. So I did this 66 days. And I got up at 4.40 every day for 66 days. I now, on autopilot, wake up at 5.40 yep. every single day. Yep. And in that, the hours... From five, when I wake up at 5.40, people will hate this. I start work at 5.45. I like doing that. Quite happy doing it. And that time from there till eight in the morning, I reckon I get the equivalent that most people do in half a day's work. Oh, I'm, I'm the same way. And so that's why I say, I just want people to look for 30 minutes. I get up at four, yeah. right? I'm up between four and 4.30 every single day. I'm the exact same way. My first three hours of a day are totally dialed. Golden hours. So much is done. But 30 minutes a day. So here's what I want. Let's just do simple math to this whole point of consistency, right? I'm not even going to tell you to do seven days a week. Let's just stick with five, okay? Five days a week, find 30 minutes. So just call Monday to Friday the traditional work week, okay? 30 minutes a day. That's two and a half hours a week. That's 10 hours a month. That's 120 hours a year. For most people, working between a 40 and 60 hour work week, you've just given yourself two to three weeks back in your year with intentional 30 minute time. Right? A lot of people who are like, oh, I don't have time to even breathe. I don't have time to slow down. I don't have this. What if you just committed to five minutes every single day for something intentional to set your intention, your motion, your emotion, your energy all in the right place? Five minutes a day, 365 days a year, 30 hours in a year you've committed to yourself. Yet we all complain that we don't have enough time. We can't get these things done. So to your point, that final percent isn't that you have to absolutely reorchestrate your whole world to go to that level of effort. Just put in 1% of additional effort and you will see an exponentially greater outcome. I am. Um, I did. People who follow my Instagram will know what for my stories. I set a re I went really, I, I got annoyed one day, not annoyed, but frustrated with people. I mean, the same nonsense. I'm like, right. I want to get in better shape. I've lost a stone and a half. So whatever it is in kilos, no idea. I think it's like 15 kilos. And then I was like, but I keep moaning I don't go to the gym every day. So I'm like, why don't I just set the most simple goal? I commit to doing one press-up three times a day. I love it. Right? And my friend to me went, that's the most stupid thing. I went, but if once I'm down, there's no way I'm going to do one press-up and get back up. 
Yeah. I've committed to just doing one. So if I do five, that's five. If I do 20, it got to the stage and I went for surgery about six weeks ago. So ironically stopped. This made me think of this. I've only just realized I've stopped. But I was doing like 120 press-ups a day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Because see? I was like, okay, well, I can do 20. And proper big boy press-ups, not like, <laughs> like oh, yeah. dry humping the wall the floor. And, and so then suddenly I'm like 20 and I'm like, well, maybe I can do 21 later. Maybe, maybe I can do 22. So suddenly I'm doing like 33, 34 exactly. and it just scales up because exactly. you've just got in that habit of doing it. And, I, and anyone who's watching this, don't be worried about doing one press-up. Don't be worried about doing one extra call because no one cares. Like if the harsh reality of life is, and this is the harsh part about it, no one's coming to save us. No one gives. <laughs> us yes. No one's. No one's running in. Going, you'll never believe it. Dave's doing one press. Like, but no one cares. Everyone's got their own crap. They're going. You That's could right. do something every day for the next year, and no one even notice. That's right. Right. So we haven't got to worry about the judgment. The judgment we worry about, I think, it's all lit up here anyway. Hundred percent. People judge are worried about that. hundred percent. People's actions are often dictated by other people's opinions. The people they don't even like. Correct. Right. And so that's just a, a, a very fascinating thought. Cause that's, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Like I, I just cannot understand. Now here's the thing. There are elements of me that was changed because I felt I had to, to fit in. And there are elements of people doing that. Mm. But when you're doing things just simply because of other people's opinions or actions, it's one of the greatest ways to lose who you are. 100%. It drives me crazy. I'm, and anyone who's watching this, I'll give you a, a very quick story of one of the most stupid things I ever done. I had a motorbike when I was 17 and it'd been raining and I'm coming over where, where, I, where I was going. It's like these big hills, windy as hell, getting blown around on this bike. I'm coming up to a corner in my mind. This is what he, one of those daft things that my brain has ever told me to do. I was so worried about coming off the bike, I went into a hedge. That's a car, I that. rode it round. I went straight forward. I was more worried about falling off. So I purposely went into it. I was only doing like 20 mile an hour. So I'm not obviously going to hurt myself. I wasn't doing but the way our brain screws with us mm-hmm. in a split second of fear or intimidation or any of this type of stuff. And anyone who's watching this, be aware of what's going on. Be aware of why we do stuff. Be aware of who we're trying to impress. Because as we remember from the school days, the people we tried impressing at school half and turn out to be crackheads. Now, yeah. right, the hot girls from school, not disclaiming, sorry, anyone who's went to my school, but most of them were, were ended up being the young teen mums. Yeah. The, the hardworking, the, the jocks out there, most of them now are overweight. And most of them is the geeks that run the planet. Right. True. The people that were unpopular, that went through rejection, that went through fear. Absolutely true. That had all they've that got perspective, white... that conditioned awareness and intentionality in their lives that led towards outcomes that others desire. And they put themselves in a position to be able to do that. And what you just said as well is, again, I mean, look at it from even what we talked about earlier to lose, whether it's actually something that we can lose or we're going to lose credibility because someone's going to judge us. Mm-hmm. Right that's still a perception of loss actually dictates our actions. So they've actually looked at professional golfers and they've like looked at birdie putts and par putts from the exact same distance. 
right? Something that they could close their eyes and do in repetition 10,000 times because they put in those 10,000 hours, right? The exact same putts. There's a higher percentage of making on par putts than birdie putts simply because there's a perception of loss. Mm. I have a chance to, to lose this birdie. They don't ever expect to hit a bogey. So because they've set their minimum baseline at par, there's a higher likelihood they're going to make the par putt from the exact same putt than birdie. And they've, sh- they've studied this over years in the PGA. It's statistically proven out. And it's all the same concept, right? When we have this perception that we're going to lose something, what do we do? We tighten up. Literally, you say you put it into a hedge because there's this perception of loss. Yeah, some capacity, I literally locked right? up and I was at, and I literally, you know, when you, you know, going for a narrow gap in a car, you breathe in as if, yeah. it's gonna, as if it's going to totally. make the car smaller. We're like, I know, as if I know. It all but in. it's again, it's this perception of loss. And so we tighten up, right? Yeah. And what happens when we tighten up? We actually shorten our breath. We get tense. And all of a sudden our brains stop operating because it depends on oxygen. So guess what? We make mistakes. We do things poorly. And so again, I want salespeople to listen to this as well. When you start tensing up, when you get tense going into a meeting, when you think you're going to, you get a big sale on the line, right? This perception of loss can get up. Just take a couple of deep breaths before you walk in and center yourself, right? The one condition that we have control over that keeps us alive is our lungs. It will literally automate if we don't think to breathe, but if we actually think (laughs) to breathe, we can automate our pacing and cadence of breath. That's not by coincidence, by the way. So when we can take a deep breath in, we've all of a sudden allowed our brains to get the oxygen we need so we can deplete the tension in that moment and go forward more clear, focused on the desired outcome versus the fear of what we're going to lose. Tell you what, do you know, I have literally a list of about 20 questions, haven't covered any of them. I've covered one, (laughs) I think. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. You've got my brain. I like the fact that we think very similarly. I like the fact that you articulate it better than I do. And you've given me so many things to go away and think about today. I really appreciate it. Well, I love that, man. I, it's such a great dialogue. I, I love the back and forth. I love what you made me think about today as well. So thank you for building a platform to pour good in the world. Cause that's the only reason I've got an opportunity to be here with you, brother. I really appreciate it. Tell people um, about where people can find you, anything you've got, any, any products you've got going on, anything you want to promote, feel free to. Yep. Um, so you can, you can find me on social media at Boger Brian on any of them. BrianBoger.com uh, is a website. But if you really want to go to a place that's going to give you a better entry into our world, go to IamNoLimits.com. It's going to give you each one of our four entities, how we're helping people actually demonstrate who they are to the world and track who they want to impact in their businesses to grow their opportunities and sales through that platform. Um, and we have some free resources as well that are all embedded into that, those, those links as well. So feel free to take advantage of those. Again, we want to impact a billion lives by 2045. We know that 99.9999999% will never pay us a dollar and we are very okay with that. We create a lot of free content to just elevate and empower people. And so the only thing we ask is if you see something that moves you, Please like, comment, and share. Not for the vanity metrics. I don't care if you take your phone and turn it to the person next to you and never put the like button on it. Truly, just create that impact because moved people move people. I'm just asking you guys to help me move more people. I love that. Moved people move people. Thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in again to another edition of the Sales Masters podcast. um, And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, like, follow, subscribe, rate and review and join me again on the next edition of the Sales Masters Podcast.